0: Thank you, Spirit of Grace. Thank you for participating and joining in worship of our great God this morning. Today we continue our sermon series, Working Through the Gospel of Mark. We're up to Mark chapter 12, a very familiar passage, in fact, very familiar, because we looked at it last week. And uh, you know how my mind works in weird ways. We went with kind of a strange and new direction with it last week. Today, a little bit more of a conventional approach, a little more exposition of this great passage from Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 34. Getting a little bit of a ring, Chuck. I'm not sure if that's through the monitors or what that is. Thank you. Uh, So the greatest commandment is what it's entitled in my Bible. And uh, please follow along. The words are on the screen. Hear the word of God. Mark chapter 12, beginning at verse 28. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord and God, come. Come, fill this place with your Spirit. Calm our hearts. Clear our minds. Let us be comfortable that we may hear your Word. That we may take it in that we may be made uncomfortable, that we may be challenged, but also comforted. Thank you, Lord, for your great love. Thank you, God, for your word. Speak to us now, we pray. Anoint this message, anoint the messenger. Let us hear what it is that you want to say to us today. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Ever noticed how people seem to be sort of obsessed with the greatest? Who's the greatest? What's the greatest? What's the biggest? Who's the the best? All of that. We hear that. I mean, who is the GOAT anyway? Is it Tom Brady? Is he the GOAT, the greatest of all time? Is it Patrick Mahomes? No answer. I was waiting for that. Somebody said yes. Okay. Aaron Rodgers? Maybe, maybe, maybe maybe not. Uh, Simone Biles has been referred to as the GOAT, right? How many think she's a good gymnast, right? Yeah, all right. She's probably the greatest female gymnast of all time. She is the GOAT, perhaps. And, uh, you know, who's the greatest singer of all time? Tony Bennett? Frank Sinatra? Barbara Streisand? Lady Gaga? Meatloaf? I love him. Who's the greatest, what's, or what's the greatest movie ever made? Titanic? Gone with the Wind? Barbie? How many of you think the Beatles were the greatest musical group ever? Eh, not so many. Okay. The Monkees. Hey, hey, we're the Monkees. Remember that? Some of you are going, the who? Yeah, they were a pretty good group too. Gotcha. I was at the State Fair just the other, uh, the other week, and I love walking through the livestock barns as an old farm boy, and I got to see, you know, all of these cool things. So you go to the ag building first, and there's all of this incredible vegetables, and the best, and the greatest, and then there's the pumpkins. You ever seen the pumpkins at the State Fair? I mean, the largest pumpkin is huge. They have it on a pallet. They have to move it around with a forklift, and it is um, like the size of a small car. I mean, it's just incredible. I mean, wow, it is so incredible. It would be fun to carve that one, wouldn't it? Um, and uh, the tallest corn stalk, 17 feet, 7 inches this year. Um, but I love, absolutely love going to the hog barn and looking for the, the big pig, the big pig, the big boar, Sasquatch this year, over 1,000 pounds, which is relatively small compared to some of the other uh, big boars that they've had. And then I love seeing the big bull. Mean Gene, no relation to Gene Marsal over there. No, no relation to him. Mean Gene, the biggest bull over three thousand pounds. Wow, this is a lot of bull. A lot of bull. Let me tell you what. So. I don't know, but it seems like everybody's obsessed over who's the greatest. It's why we have the Olympics. It's why statisticians keep records. It's why we have competitions and uh, consumer reviews. It's why Guinness publishes a book of world records. We have an obsession with who or what is the greatest. And it's no wonder that a Jewish legal expert some 2,000 years ago would approach Jesus, this teacher, this rabbi, who seemed to be pretty cool, and he would ask him this tough question. Jesus, out of all of the commands, which is the most important? Jewish religious leaders had devised 613 differing laws. That's a lot of rules to keep track of. Some were heavy commands, some were light. But surely there had to be one that stood out from all the rest. Surely there had to be one that was deemed most important. And without missing a beat or batting an eye, Jesus answers the question. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all of your strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. And the man compliments Jesus' answer. Good, good answer, Jesus. Good answer. Good answer. Love God and love others. Boil it all down. And it's those two simple but interconnected commands. Out of all the commands and all of the commands and rules in, in the Bible, out of all the commands that have ever been made throughout humankind and human history by anybody, these two, this one, is the greatest. Boil it all down and it comes down to love. Love God. love others. In a world of hate. Racism, political vitriol, deep divisions, grudges, endless litigation, rugged individualism, emphasis on me first, selfishness and selfies, Jesus gives us a radical command. Rather than fear God, love Him. Rather than flip off your neighbor, excuse me, Love them. Love is a matter of the heart. God looks at the heart. And we better too. When's the last time you had a heart checkup? Been to the doctor lately? How's your heart rhythm? How's it going? Today we're going to do a spiritual heart checkup. So let's dig in. Let's take this apart. Let's parse it down. There are four aspects, first of all, to our love for God, and then we'll do love for neighbor in a moment. Love for God, four aspects. Number one, love God with all your heart. Say it with me, with all your heart. Your heart represents your passions and desires. It may surprise you, but God is not interested in your religious rituals and routines, God doesn't want your duty. God is not impressed with your discipline, gutting it out for Him. Imagine a husband giving flowers to his wife out of duty. Honey, it's Valentine's Day today. And I know that on Valentine's Day, husbands are supposed to give their wives flowers. It was kind of a busy day, so I had my secretary stop off at the flower shop, and she got these flowers. And now I have them, and I want to give them to you, the prerequisite flowers for Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day, honey. What do you think she's going to do? Probably going to slap him in the face, throw those flowers on the floor. She doesn't want his duty. She wants his heart. God wants your heart today. God wants your heart, and He wants all of it. God wants your feelings, your enthusiasm, your desire, your energy, your sincerity, and your passion. Love Him with all your heart, not just a part of it. God doesn't want a divided, distracted, or diluted heart. And it happens so easily in today's world, and especially as we age, our hearts become distracted. They become divided. We grow harder. And the question I want to ask you is How is your heart before God today? How's your passion for Jesus this morning? Would you allow yourself to truly fall in love with God again? Would you stir up your passion and your desire for God today? Let us not be like the people of Ephesus, whom whom John had to write in Revelation 2, verse 4, you have forgotten your first love. Your love for Jesus. May that not be true of the people of Grace Church. May we never forget our first love. May we love God with all of our hearts. Number two, we love God not only with all your heart, but with all your soul. Say it with me, with all your soul. The soul here refers to the very core and center of your being. David admitted in Psalm 51, Surely you, God, desire truth in the inner parts. Your soul is your innermost parts, your deepest, truest self, the locus of your thoughts and emotions and will. It's who you are when you are alone, when no one is looking. God is saying, love me, Not just passionately from your heart, but with your entire being, with every fiber of your deepest core of your life, with all your soul. But the soul can attach itself to many things. Your soul can have divided interests and affections, can cling to idols and false gods and phony substitutes. But God wants and deserves it all. Not just the parts of it or the pieces at times when it's convenient like on Sunday morning for an hour or so during worship. Jesus is saying, love God 24-7, Monday through Saturday and Sunday too. With all you've got, with every fiber of your being from your soul. The question is, how are you doing at loving God with all of your soul? It may be that your soul is divided this morning. You may not even want to be here. There may be other things, attractions, affections, or addictions that are competing for God's love in your life right now. Are you more attached to something else, a hobby, a habit, a person, or a particular sin than you are to God? Jesus asked in Mark 8, What good is it for a person to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? And that's what's at stake, your very soul, your eternal destiny. The stakes couldn't be higher. May you, may we, love God with all of your soul. We love God with all of our heart, with all of your soul. And thirdly, with all your mind. Say it with me. With all your mind. This one is often overlooked. It's so easy for Christians to get intellectually lazy. It's easy to shut your mind off while taking a leap of faith, Brothers and sisters, this should not be. Christians should not be known for being simple-minded people. In Acts 17, verse 2, As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. What is Paul doing? He is providing an intellectual defense of the faith before skeptics. And scholars. Some people think that becoming a Christian and believing in Jesus Christ means shutting off your brain. If you take a leap of faith, you can no longer question things. You can't believe in science or you can't trust scholarship. And that's just wrong. It's silly and it's stupid. Christians ought to be the most rigorously minded people of all. We should read books on our faith, ponder theology, consider intellectual arguments both for and against Christianity. We should test and toy with new ideas, evaluate them against the Scriptures. Some people say, well, God said it and that settles it. Well, good for you, but that doesn't cut it in the world. You and I must learn how to intelligently defend our faith against an unbelieving world of skeptics. To tell the truth winsomely, lovingly, convincingly. Too often we turn off our minds and we let other people or the news media do our thinking for us. And Jesus is saying, No, you love God with all your mind. You don't have to be a scholar or a seminary graduate, just think deeply. Be honest. Be able to give a sound intellectual defense of your faith. Study the Bible. Read books on your faith. Learn from great theologians and teachers and fathers of our faith. Don't give yourself to the latest fad or some popular theology that makes it on TV. Have a deeply rooted, reasoned, and rational faith. It's what I love about the RCA. It's a deep, reasoned, rational faith based on the truth of God's word. Know what you believe. Know why you believe it. Peter said, always be ready to give a reason for the hope that is in you. A reason. It's okay to ask questions. God is not threatened by your questions. Toy with new ideas. Love God with all your mind. Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And with your strength. Say it with me. And with your strength. Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 3, Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Notice Paul's word choice. I press on. Straining toward what is ahead. Sounds like the people I see and hear working out at the Y when I'm over there working out in their lifting weights, right? Paul is serious about this. Where did we ever get the idea that following Jesus was going to be easy, smooth, require no discipline or physical exertion? It's a big, fat lie. On the contrary, it takes energy and a good night's rest on Saturday to get yourself out of bed and to get to worship on Sunday mornings. It takes physical effort to get yourself to a small group or a Bible study or a youth group. It takes a measure of health to volunteer and serve God in His church. It takes planning, toughness, and effort to organize your schedule to have time for God, church, and a Sabbath rest. Following Jesus requires a measure of physical good health, energy, exertion, and good old-fashioned discipline. How are you doing in loving God with all of your strength? Are you pressing on? Are you straining ahead? Or are you getting weak and flabby? You say, well, pastor, salvation is a gift from God. It's mine by grace. I don't have to do anything. And yet Paul says in Philippians 2.12, yeah, but continue to work out your salvation. Work out. That means putting energy and effort into appropriating the abundant life that God has already given you. No pain, no gain applies to your spiritual life as well as your physical life. It's the number one reason I work out at the Y as much as I can, to stay as healthy as I can, and to serve God with as much energy as I can have. A year ago, I added morning stretches to my routine, and it's helpful. It's helping. How's your physical fitness, your mobility, your diet? Let us love God with all of our strength, because all of these things, they matter to God. You only have one body. Take care of it. Love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And now on to the second part of this teaching. Jesus said, and now love your neighbor as yourself. No commandment greater than these. First off, notice That a healthy love for self is assumed. Your love, excuse me, you cannot love others well without first loving yourself. Have you ever flown on an airplane? What do they say when you get seated? They come on and the flight attendants, they go through the drill and maybe there's a little movie or something that you watch and the FAA uh, you know, regulations and so forth. What do they say? In case of a loss of cabin pressure, the oxygen mask comes down. What do they tell you? Put your own mask on first before helping the person next to you. It's okay to take care of yourself. It's biblical. If I am not healthy... If my own love tank, my oxygen for love, is depleted or running on empty, if I'm always bending over backwards to love others, hoping to get my own love tank filled with their appreciation, a thank you in return, or a slap on the back, some public recognition or reward, I will never love well. If you're always looking for something in return, you will never love well. You will always be disappointed because people may not always say thank you. You may not always get the appreciation that you think you deserve. Your love for others will always be transactional, hoping to get something in return, seeking to fulfill your needs instead of theirs. However, if I love others out of health, in the abundance of my heart rather than out of the emptiness of my heart i can love others well unconditionally without contingency in the example of jesus 1 john 4:19 tells us we love because god first loved us god is the one who fills our love tanks and when your love tank is full it spills over and you can love others freely without condition or expectation. That's where true love begins. It begins with God filling you. Take that in. Know that it's okay to be loved, to care for yourself. God gives us the permission to love ourselves, to eat right, set proper boundaries, stop trying to be all things to all people and failing miserably, and start being successful at being at least some things to some people. Don't be a doormat. Know your limits. You are not God. You are you. You are human. Stop trying to get approval from others when you already have God's. What more do you need? His endless love. Love others well because God first loves you. Okay, Jesus, who's my neighbor? That's what the Jewish teachers wanted to know. They wanted to parse this out, they wanted to justify themselves. They love black and whites. If you're always looking for black and whites in your faith, beware. It's not always black and white. Who is your neighbor? Jesus answers the question of the Jewish leaders by telling them a story. You know it. The parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10. A traveler falls into the hands of robbers and he gets beat up and left for dead along the side of the road. A priest, very religious person, passes him by the other side. A Levite, a worship leader, someone who ought to know better, passes him by. A Samaritan the despised foreigner stops to help the man. And Jesus asks, which of these three was a neighbor? Which of these three was a good neighbor? The Samaritan, the man said. And Jesus says, go and do likewise. Jesus flips the neighbor question around And says, go and be a good neighbor to anyone you can, anyone in need, anyone within your reach. It doesn't matter if they live next door, across the backyard fence, down the street, in the next town, or around the world. It doesn't matter if they are the same race, skin color, ethnicity, or language as you, whether they are Americans, Asians, Africans, or Antarcticans. It doesn't matter if they are Republican, Democrat, Independent, have a big Trump flag in their front yard, or a Biden banner. It doesn't matter if they identify as L, G, B, T, or Q, or any other letter in the alphabet. It doesn't matter whether you like them, approve of their lifestyle, share similar political views or not, or whether they keep their lawn mowed. Our job as Christians is simply to love unconditionally in the example of Jesus. John 13, 34, Jesus says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Did Jesus say, you love those who who like you? Did Jesus say, just love those who, who are like you? Did Jesus say, Love those with whom you agree and who hold and share your political views. Did Jesus say, love those who you want to love? No, we love all peoples. We love all peoples, friends, regardless of race, creed, condition, culture, or the example in the example of Jesus' unconditional love for us for you. Paul said in Romans 15, "Accept one another then just as Christ accepted you." Whether people are kind to you or not is beside the point. It doesn't mean you have to agree with everybody. It doesn't mean that you have to condone their lifestyle. It doesn't mean you have to be best friends with everybody, but we must respect them. We must dignify their humanity. We must acknowledge them and love them in the example of Jesus. And this is where we need to do a heart check this morning. Do you find your love for others as you age and mature in the faith? Do you find that love growing wider and wider? It should as we grow closer and closer to Jesus. But you know what I see? I see all too often, as we age and mature in the faith, that that this window of love, it gets narrower and narrower. If you're in my tribe, if you think, think like me and you share my values, I'll love you. But if you're outside of this, you're on your own. That's the attitude that I see and I hear. Is your heart more open, tender, or softer than it was toward others a year ago or five years ago? It should be if you're growing more like Jesus. Or has your heart grown more cold or callous or closed? Are you open to others or short with others? Do you find yourself possessing a self-righteous, judging, critical spirit or attitude Do you like to complain about others, what they're doing or not doing? Are you just a mad and angry person? Or are you more open? Or are you more self protective? These are the questions we must ask ourselves. They're hard questions. Where's your heart today? How is your love for God and for neighbor? May it begin right here at Grace Church with one another. You know what brand recognition is? You've probably heard of this. It's just a, in, a, in a simple way, brand recognition Uh, Just kind of simply put, it's kind of like there's a logo or a symbol or an emblem of some sort that identifies maybe a certain business or company or a certain product, right? So uh, you know about this stuff. So here's a little test for you. So here's one. What is it? Chevrolet. Chevrolet. All right, you know Chevy. All right, try another. John Deere. John Deere, you better know that one in this town. Gonna be in trouble if you don't, right? So, all right. Here's one, haha. Target. All right, and Apple. Apple computers, right? So, don't even need to, don't even need to have the word in front of you. If you have a logo an emblem, you know what that means. Now, let me ask you this: What is brand recognition? What is our logo for a Christian? What is it? Slide. (laughs) It's love. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. This is your brand recognition as a Christ follower. As a lover of God, may your love translate into love for others because the the vertical and the horizontal are always connected. Jesus said, as much as you've done it to the least of these brothers, you've done it to me. And all too often, Christians, churches, are known for what they're against. For just the opposite of this. And it breaks my heart. This ought not be. May we be known for what we are for. We are for the love of God. For God in this world. Amen? And may all Christians know that we are followers of Jesus. By love. Boil it all down. Love God. Love others. This is the fulfillment of all the commands ever written. Let's pray. Father in heaven, come. Speak to us. Convict us. Challenge us. Sometimes our hearts get going in the wrong direction. We find ourselves participating in gossip and slander, cutting other people down, complaining, begrudging. This ought not be. Forgive us, Lord for grudges and gossip and ungodly behaviors and attitudes. And let us grow in love, in the love of Jesus, in His holiness, in His righteousness. For He is the highest, He is the greatest, He is who we are for. In a world of darkness and hate, may our love shine like stars in the universe, brightly for all to see. In your holy name we pray it. Amen.